Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I have the great pleasure to introduce someone who knows the media industry in Australia and probably globally better than anyone else. And I'm talking about Steve Allen, Chief Executive of Fusion Strategy. Welcome, Steve. Thanks so much, Darren. Look, um, uh, this is, I have to say, a great honour because I remember uh, even when I started out in advertising, which is a number of years ago, you were certainly one of, if not the most high profile person talking about media and media value and media strategies uh, at that time compared to the industry. You know, you were the, the, the voice. So the opportunity to sit down, especially at a time when media is going through so much turmoil and upheaval. Mm. But I want to start off talking about media value because I think it's a really interesting term at a time when everyone seems to be focused on cost for us to really reflect on what is the value of media. So, you know, from your perspective, Steve, what, what, what's value for you when you're talking about media to clients and advertisers? Look, it does vary, and it does vary by media type. It, it, you know, much as though we can crunch it all down to putting all media types on one spreadsheet to show their performance and their cost efficiency and all the rest, they've all got different ways of their quotient of communication and you've got to mm. weigh that in. But at least if you get it down to a kind of a spreadsheet figure thing that many clients have never seen or, yeah. or don't believe, at least if you get it down to that, you say, guys, look at this, look at the most cost efficient, look at the least cost efficient, then make your value judgments. You're yeah. in a much better place when you've got that to look at, to range, well, is that worth twice what yeah. another medium's worth? Is, is that to us and our product or our service? And what's it bringing to the interaction or engagement yeah. that you're not getting somewhere else? But, but one of the big things, Darren, that, that clients are losing sight of in this digital age is critical mass. They, they've completely lost their way. They're buying in spaces that we can easily prove to them are not cost efficient. They, they sound like big numbers, but when you put it in that universe or in the public's universe, the, mm. you know, they're not that big. Yep. Um, and they, they therefore can't even necessarily support the brand share that the client is presently on or chasing. Yeah. So when we talk about value, we talk about a number of dimensions at once. One of them was, well, what is your position in the marketplace? What market share have you? What is your market definition? Mm -hmm. um, we've got to build strategies that at least reach your market share, but they should always exceed it. Yeah. And whatever ambition you have over the next number of years. Um, clients aren't doing much of that anymore. Whether they ever did it, I don't know. But certainly clients that we came to influence knew about it and we were singing the hymn, if you like. Well, Steve, I, I actually see a dichotomy happening in the marketplace, and that is that clients almost seem to think it's digital or it's traditional, and that they have to somehow make a decision one or the other. And yet, to me, it seems really obvious that there's a role for both. I mean, if you want mass, then the traditional medias are still delivering that massive audience. And if you want to get 
down to targeting and engagement in particular environments than digital. Why is it that you think people, the industry, has this conversation? I mean, even um, uh, Mark Ritson, who's going, forget digital, go traditional, you know, he's saying one or the other, but it's both. Yeah, but in a sober moment, Ritson would admit that it isn't that extreme. It's just that he's, he, he sees the trend so heavily mm. away from fundamentals that he's railing against it for the good of the industry in many respects. And so trying to shock us yeah, into rethinking yeah, the black or white. Because, look, the, the digital thing is, is twofold. Um, look, from a me the media agency's point of view, it's a way they can earn an extra dollar. They get twice, ten times the income. 90% according to the ANA. But, <laughs> you know, they get a massive markup. Mm. You know, when they've when purchasing officers have put them into these contracts, they yeah. can make no money out of their fools to sign those contracts. And digital was their way out. And yeah. now that's going to be closed off pretty soon. But, you know, but from the marketer's point of view, remember marketers um, compared to 20 years ago or 30 years ago have such a short tenure mm. of employment in an organisation and so all they're looking for, this, this doesn't serve all professional marketing people well, what I'm about to say, but most marketing people yeah, as a general are, statement, are okay. looking for the next big hit to get them the next job. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're harming the brand longer term. It doesn't matter if at a later date their strategy will be proven, if they have a strategy, mm. whatever they've done, is proven to be not very good and not great value. As long as it creates headlines mm. and admiration from the industry, yes. they will be promoted. They will be promoted within their organisation or out of their organisation by being headhunted. So that's that's one half, and of course yeah. the media agency markups is the other half. Yeah. So so what you mentioned there is the brand eye, which is it's all about what it's going to do for me in my professional career rather than building the brands around me. But I think uh, also isn't part of it this uh, you know this allure that people sell around digital media, which is oh it's so much more measurable um, because you know and we it have engages these more. Yeah. It's, it's a lean in, yeah. not a lean at back. Yeah. All this, I hate the mumbo jumbo that goes on because everything is very basic in my view. So some of the ways you measure things aren't basic and some of the measurements are quite complex, but nevertheless. Look, you know, in the digital age, there are a lot of measurements that come instantly. Mm. It doesn't mean they're good measurements and it doesn't mean that they're telling you the right story. Mm. You, you still have to particularly if you're a strategist and you're channel planning, you have to know what all those numbers mean and you have to be able to get them mm. to, to do the job that you're looking for. So when, when we talk to clients and we say, look, one of the tricks we use, again, on spreadsheets is, look, to get 50% reach of your specific target audience, having defined a really refined target audience for them, whatever that happens to be, doesn't matter how big or how small, how niche or how mass, Let's look at what it costs to get 50% reach in a single week. Mm. Now, that's critical mass. Yeah. You know, remember 20, 30 years ago, if you told a client 50% was critical mass, they'd say, you're balmy. 
Well, they 65 percent. Three plus uh, yeah. frequency yeah. was the standard I remember for retailers, you know. And then uh, you had a different formula for uh, 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 consumer goods and all that. Yeah. that. But that was critical mass. And when they suddenly see f- to get to fifty percent reach um, from some of these new digital areas is quite expensive. Mm. And they go, no, I don't believe that. I don't oh, believe that. And then you say, well, okay, here's your target audience. Here's what, here's what they're doing in a week of, okay. of digital. So look at the number one site. The number one site gets to about 20% of your target. Yeah. So if you're able to buy all that 20%, by the by, you can't. But if you were able to buy all that 20%, that's, that's one. Okay, so the next site and the next site. So what you're explaining to them is that because... The media landscape, particularly in the digital age, is so fragmented. Mm. You need lots of little pieces. And in a bit like um, um, some of the traditional media industries, when you're adding up lots of little pieces, there's an incremental cost the further you go up the reach scale. Mm. It's not doesn't become more efficient, it becomes less efficient, yeah. more costly, bigger outlays. And when you explain that to them, you, 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 their minds start to churn. They start to ask some intelligent questions. All yeah. oh, right. So how many digital sites, internet sites, would we have to go to to get 50% in the reach? And you go, well, well, depends how niche we want to be, how broad we want to be, but 20 or so. Yeah. And they go, really? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, well, that's doing an efficient buy yeah, for your target audience, it might be 20 sites that we've got to go to. Mm. And th- th- then the penny starts to drop. Unfortunately, um, I think what then happens is they go, oh, this is way too complex. Way too complex. Mm. I mean, I came in with a simple idea, and now it's got very muddy, and I'm, it scares me. Mm. And, and so we haven't even touched on uh, uh, viewability, ad fraud, uh, you know, the, the fraud, the bot fraud and all that sort of no. thing, which it could be completely wiping out another 50% yeah. of uh, that delivery. And what what upsets clients, they don't, they don't, they're not visible in in being upset, but you know it's happening. You can tell from the way their body stiffens and the yeah. way they don't talk the as much to the tension that, that it might be easy to identify um, listenership, viewership in the traditional media, readership in yeah. the digital media. There might be long-held, you know, ad norms, noted norms in lots of those media. Similar things can be applied to the new media. Mm. And when you start to apply those things, some of which you've just brought up, they see it's just as complex, probably more complex in the new media that was in the old media. And it makes sense because it is infinitely more fragmented hmm? as a medium. Hmm? I mean, the long tail that was written about you know, more than 10 years ago is the truth of the digital market. There is, you know, uh, I think so many marketers get uh, bedazzled by Google and Facebook. And yes, they're very dominant in that digital domain. But perhaps not as dominant when you look at the numbers as some of, let's say, the TV stations or any other of the, you know, the media options that are available to them that can actually reach into an audience. Now, you then get into questions about engagement and things like that, but they're different roles to me, different roles for different jobs. It's a tool shed that you pick the right tools for the job. Yeah, and, and 
even before we get to that, I mean, we, we say to clients to this day, no matter what channel, your creative is your most important weapon. Mm. You know, having a persuasive argument, yep. having it beautifully and engagingly presented is easily your most valuable weapon. Mm. We can do all the rest, widgets and stuff, but, but you've got to have a really good, clear communication strategy executed brilliantly. And, of course, in the digital age, it's more like cut and paste. Or it's all over the place. Yeah, nothing consistent. Mm. Um, you do see some fabulous campaigns from usually some of the bigger advertisers where um, they've got a central message and they're executing it across a lot of channels and they're doing it, they're building big reach and impact at the front with traditional media like television, like newspapers, like radio, like magazines, like, you know, outdoor but it's, it's coming straight through into the digital age and they might be just picking off niche audiences there, but to my mind, they're probably doing it intelligently. Now, who knows whether they are, but they probably are. So we, we've alluded to and, and sort of touched upon the, some of the issues with the media industry and I think the ANA K2 report really consolidated for a lot of people the ills that the industry is suffering these days. I don't necessarily want to just drag through the, what the report said, but I'm really interested because I have a very clear point of view on why we are where we are today. You know, I started in advertising just before the end of, um, of accreditation. Mm -hmm. So I saw accreditation, I saw the dismantling of it, and I've been witnessing what's happened since then. But I'd be really interested from your perspective, Steve, as why are we in this situation now where agencies, media agencies, are sometimes acting as agencies of the media owners and sometimes acting as agents of the advertiser, but it's not clear which. And I think that's the best way of putting it, isn't it? Look, it's never been clear, and it's what clients have always been concerned about, um, even in the uh, a formal accreditation where mm -hmm. we really had to go through a media agency or, or put cash with copy through the front door unless you're a big advertiser. Really, those dynamics haven't changed. It doesn't matter what it's called. They're still the same. And the, the principal reason that advertisers have distrusted that relationship between media agencies or advertising agencies when they used to be full service and, and the owners is... They're not party to the conversation of, you know, group buys, mm. say. Mm. Uh, so they don't actually know what's going on inside and what's being promised. And they're not even told what's, by many of the big groups, what, what the arrangements really are. I think they've got every right to know. And I think it's crazy for the big media agencies not to be transparent about exactly what the negotiation was. They can still talk about the principles of the negotiation, mm. what we did to get this, yeah. what that, what the obligation is for you, mm. um, and so forth. I mean, if they'd done that five or ten years ago, we wouldn't be at the point we are now. But because intersecting with this, as the media industry and the media agency industry rolled along, and as purchasing departments, procurement departments got more and more involved, particularly with the global advertisers, which was there were good reasons why they should, because they, you know, they didn't know what value was in any given region. They didn't know why they were employing this agency compared to that agency, be they media or creative. They, you know, there, there was a role for them to start counting the numbers and yep. making sure the numbers 
put him on a spreadsheet and, and make and, sure... And eliminating waste and, and, and yep. increasing productivity and things like that, to a point. To a point. Trouble is that they became zealots. And mm. for many chief executives... Um, and there was a difference. Look, look at today. There's hardly, I don't know, of a, a marketing background person who's a chief executive. Mm. 30 years ago, there were tons. That was one of your ways to the top. Mm. Either because through, you were a growth driver. Either sales or marketing. Mm. Um, not today. Mm. So the more common thing is you come from a finance area or a finance background. Mm. So um, a lot of the procurement and, and so forth, because they're numerate, they were thought to be the new, you know, saints. Yeah. The trouble is that our industry is very competitive and very pliable. And when you bring people in that really are there to drive costs and margins down, they'll do it very effectively. But it gets to the point where people are entering into contracts that they can never make any money out of because their path... Well, they can't make honest money out of. Honest money. <laughs> because the person who wins that business gets lauded around the world. It's, yeah. it's their way to the top. The fact that no one knows whether they can make money out of it, that's measured much later. Yeah. They've been promoted. Yeah, we've seen that happen, haven't we? We have. <laughs> Without naming names. <laughs> so, so when they got to this nasty point, and you probably know more about this than me, but I would say we started to get to this point 10 years ago, this, this crunch mm. where business was being won and traded at, at paper-thin loss margins. When the digital age started to come in with any force 10 or less years ago, suddenly the light went on mm. to, to some creative people here and overseas, and a, a lot of the early work was done here, where they suddenly said, well, you know, what, advertorial, they call it native now, don't they? But yeah, advertorial. Native, native advertising, yeah, I love yeah. that. Well, if, if our clients are looking for things like that, why don't we do it ourselves? Why yeah. don't we employ some people to do that? And why don't we get a big fat margin for doing it? Probably more competitive than the market margin, yeah. but nevertheless, quite different and outside the contract we're stuck with. And I think RECMA call it non-media income as it's declared by their rankings of media agencies. And I've seen chief executives that are pals in the industry at functions mm. and presentations say, we get more than 60% of our income now from... Non-media <laughs> services. And for, for me, what that does is it practically turns me the white of your shirt. <laughs> Because I know there are things in there that they don't want disclosed. Mm, exactly. Because if their clients find out about them, they won't be happy. Well, let me share my view, because I'm really interested in, uh, in your thoughts, having you know, your experience of the industry. We saw procurement rise in 2005. 2007-8, we had what in Australia is called the global financial crisis and most of the rest of the world called the global recession. But we also had something else happen, and that is digital media impacted television stations and suddenly television stations had three and four times the amount of inventory that they used to have. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of inventory. Now, any 
commercial person would say the laws of supply and demand say if you've got four times as much inventory, the price should come down. But we saw for quite a while the price was maintained, even because these digital stations were not necessarily getting a new audience, they were just sharing the existing audience. At the same time, procurement comes along and goes, well, we've got to get prices down. They saw that trend, so they started saying, we want our media cheaper, but this is the bit I don't get. They then turned around and say, and we're going to pay you less to do it. Now, to me, a media agency is the person you pay to invest a larger sum of money, 10 or 20 times more, to get a return on that investment. I wouldn't be trying to push the price of the media down and what I'm paying the person that's uh, given the task of investing that for me, because that seems counterintuitive to me. It is, absolutely. But it's what happened, and it's why we're in the position we're in now and why the ANA in America has released the report, which is, you know, Blind Freddy could have told them that this is what they were going to find. Mm. Um, I suspect it's slightly worse here because we've been slightly more entrepreneurial and we got we got on the front foot a bit quicker. You'd see more of this than, than, than I would. Absolutely. The value banks, you know, value banks can only exist. And, and for those that don't know, value banks is a almost a promissory note of inventory that doesn't appear anywhere on the balance sheet. So that's why I laugh when, you know, uh, uh, auditors say, oh, we'll just order the books. You will never... Uh, do you think you'd ever see a value bank on a media agency balance sheet? No. No, it doesn't exist. It won't exist It's anyway. a handshake, isn't it? But, 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 but it is. <laughs> and a napkin over lunch at... Uh... Look, it might, there might be something in writing, but you can bet that USB stick is in a vault. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the sales director is the only one that can look at it. Um, from the media owner's point of view, these weren't bad things. You know, if, if, if to get an extra point or two share to get an extra couple of points margin, you know, s selling price. Um, they had to give away a bit of inventory. What do they care if it's charged for? Mm. It's more money to them. And especially if they're having trouble selling that inventory yeah. at full tote odds, yeah. why not give yeah. it as a bonus? Yeah. You know? And the fact that they could frown upon the media agencies when they heard or when they found out or when a client asked them, Oh, I've been charged for the following. You know, you know, they just shrug their, you know, it's part of the trading platform. But because clients didn't know about it, it's not a fair part of the trading platform. Yeah, well, I had a um, a uh, discussion about this on LinkedIn. So it's actually in writing with a very high-profile Australian marketer, where I'd published a post saying this whole issue of lack of media transparency has been driven by the greed and stupidity of clients wanting to pay less for their media. And he said, it's not our fault. The agencies have accepted it, so it's their fault. And uh, my point of view was, and I believe, Steve, in the golden rule, a man with gold makes the rules, that ultimately to say just because a supplier will do it means that they take the responsibility, negates that huge responsibility that you as the buyer have in actually setting the rules of the game. Absolutely. I mean, you know, clients should spend more time on discussing the philosophy of how they're going to have a relationship with a media agency, the philosophy of their buying mm. and trading. They should spend more time on that so they understand what's going on they should always know if there's an investment officer or a buyer on their business. They should have direct conversations with them. They should know exactly what's going on with their money. It is their money. Mm. 
and they should take a vital interest in how it's being traded. Um, and they shouldn't be so concerned about uh, uh, you know, the price they're paying or the unit cost. That's all in the very first question you asked in this, this mm. conversation. That's value. Mm. If you get into these philosophic areas, then you can most sensible, value intelligent will reveal itself. Yeah. yeah, it'll reveal itself, and mm. you'll understand what's going on. Because, you know, for instance, you bring up the, the point of the two hundred eight, two thousand nine, GFC and the, yeah. the digital and the multiplying of, of, of free to air stations, and the tripling of inventory because of it. Clients should have understood that to trade as effectively across all those platforms would triple the workload of any media agency. Mm. Now, it didn't quite, but, but, certainly but in principle, yeah. they should have accepted. And the problem with smaller ratings everywhere is every transaction smaller. Mm. So there's a greater work intensity no matter what. Absolutely. Even if they don't go to the digital channels. Yeah, digital channels, digital media, almost every, the fragmentation of media, the ability to target very small groups of people or at mass means that it's more labour intensive. And they go, oh yeah, but technology allows us to do it. Someone still has to go through the strategic thinking to set the paradigm, the strategy that's going to be delivered. Darren, then we get to programmatic a few years ago yeah. And clients are now railing about that. And that is was the answer from a media agent's yeah. point of view. It was get hold of the inventory of a particular medium and make it computer tradable. Yep. Um, good computer programs with good vendors, you know, suppliers, media owners, give you good targeting tools. You can, you can set a lot of parameters that don't make it uh, footloose and fancy free, don't make it, you know just splattering money all over the place. Yep. But so often when you talk to clients or, or so often when you when you talk to colleagues, you know, people are just feeding in money and a mm. CPM and off it goes and you're going, pardon? Mm. What target audience is that? No. Don't start me on anyway, CPMs. So, so, <laughs> so, you know, media agencies have sometimes led the push for some of this behaviour that clients are now questioning that yeah. the ANA report covers. And sometimes clients have been the catalyst for the latest round of what's gone on. So they can't say, they shouldn't say that we have no part of that. It's, it's not up to us. They're, they're, our, they're, they're our agent. Mm. Well, you've got to have a great relationship mm. if they're truly your agent. Mm. And it's got to be an open relationship. And You've got to make sure they can make money. By all means, make sure they're efficient and as efficient as they can. But then you've got to make sure they can make money. Well, Because then, then you'll get stable staff. Yeah. That's another huge problem with clients. I get a visit a month from a client. And, you know, when you dig on what their problem is, there's no intellectual property on the service team because they are getting churn, a churn, complete yeah. churn of all their people in a year. Mm. And so there's nothing left. 
So rather than talk about profit, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting is in the US they talk about compensation. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this great joke that I say compensation means to make good for damage done, <laughs> whereas to remunerate actually means to reward mm-hmm. for output or success. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think marketers need to start thinking about their media investment as an investment and therefore think about ways of rewarding the agency for maximising that investment, either in value, the value delivered, or the performance of it. Because both of them are infinitely measurable. The trouble is, the auditors to date have all been about cost, because Mm. CPM is cost, isn't it? Yep. It's actually not value. Nope. It, and it might have a lot of other attendant harmful effects on what they're doing. Tell me um, about it. You know, you might remember, you know, in my previous life at AIS Media, one of the first things that we did was we became an auditor. But we, we became an auditor in part because at the time, Channel 9 had launched their rate per program rate card, okay, yeah. which we'd actually designed for them. I can say that now. Um, and quickly, Channel 7 and Channel 10 followed quite quickly, and we did one of those other two's cards for them. And so we understood the construction of the card and what it was driving to, and so we we understood the dynamics that were behind the card, what the the television owner was looking for, Mm. which was better yield. Yep. But as a consequence, what was the way through these new cards for the really canny advertiser? Mm. Where could they pick the best value to deliver to their strategy? And, of course, when you're an auditor, you, you have to be... Squeaky clean. Mm. So I can't have a mate called Darren over there who's heading a media agency and I tip him off about how he'd work his way through this. But as an auditor, you can write reports that guide, yeah. that are transparent because they're in a report that is shared by everyone. Well, that's that a good auditor, people. Steve. That's a good auditor does that. Um, what I've seen is most of the auditing that goes on is pretty much setting up a set of rules that get the that distort the agency's strategic ability to meet a buying metric. Yeah, and and worse than that, the the the, the cards that we did way back then, I'm not saying they were the best or that we were fantastic. I'm saying they were designed with a particular philosophy, and that philosophy was not anti-advertiser. Mm. It was pro owner. Mm. but it was an anti-advertiser. Unfortunately, none of those cards exist. They don't construct their cards. Very simple principle on when they were first launched. The highest rating programs you paid a premium for, the lowest rating programs you got the discount. It was terribly simple philosophy. Today, that's no longer the case. No. Some of the highest rating programs, some of the king hit shows are actually very economical to buy. So, you know, you could get out performance easily 20, 30 years ago, mm. just by paying a bit of a premium. Today, you can get out performance, sometimes by buying really good programs, but mostly by buying crap. Yeah. Because it's cheap. So there is no... You're going for accumulated reach yeah, there and, is, and bugger frequency. <laughs> there, there is, and the tail of the reach mm. and frequency graphs, I mean, you know, clients, you know, I had a client, I'm sure he won't identify with us. Anyway, I had a client who was mad about pay TV, absolutely mad about pay TV. And TV, pay TV's got its uses. And, mm. you know. But one day he asked, we'd battled and kind of tried to minimise the proportion of budget. He was 
one of those people that, you know, before the digital age wanted a, a substantial amount of the budget to go into pay TV because they had dedicated channels and you know, specialised audiences and all that stuff. Just very good sales. I mean, you know, we, we claimed that MCN and, uh, and Foxtel were, should have got marketer of the year a number of years over because they were so clever about what they presented. What they presented, yeah. yeah. Full, marks to Full marks to them. Full marks to them. Cut long story short, eventually, for some peculiar reason, said, oh, something that he'd forced us to do, he said, oh, can I have the reach of frequency on that one? Somebody came to me and said, he's asked for the reach of frequency. Said, do it. Do it. But when he sees this, he's going to be horrified. I said, do it. He's asked for it. Sure enough, within minutes of it being emailed, Steve... Low reach, high frequency. Steve, <laughs> what is this? They must have got this wrong. I said, no. No, it's absolutely... It's come off the back of the computer. No one's touched it. We can do it 100 times over. We can do the same results. Can, it's all frequency and no reach mm. with the way you're using this medium. Mm. We've been telling you that for years. He's probably is, picking the same environments and just investing in those yeah. and just hitting the same audience yeah. over and over again. Yeah. All of these things go into your very first question. All of what we're talking about is all oh, comes Steve, to value. In Steve, one form I had or to do, uh, in my early days as a copywriter, I had to write radio ads so that the particular client could buy a package on a radio station that got him and his family a trip to Disneyland every year. So, you know, when it comes down to value, for him, value was running a run-of-station package that uh, included a trip for four to Disneyland. Yeah, it, it all comes down to how you define value. When, when, when the media run those things <laughs> for clients or media buyers now, our firm instruction, um, yeah. and this started a long time ago, we had a, a staff handbook, mm. AIS Media, where we were very firm about inducements. Mm. Inducements of any kind had to be declared to the client in writing mm. and... If the client wished to take that inducement, it was theirs. It was their money it was running off the back of. Mm. And that's it. So we insisted on being transparent. Of course, I was told I was, um, well, there was a lot of colourful language used at the time by both staff and, and senior management. Yeah. And I said, no, you, you, you know, we are investing clients' money. Clients cannot think that we are bending the truth or being compromised with their dollars in any way. Mm. And so we must have this kind of transparency. Yeah, complete transparency. And to this day, I mean, most clients, when you are that open with them, mm. say, oh, would you like the trip to Bali? You have it. If, if you get the trip to Bali, you go right ahead. Mm. Quite happy with that, as long as the client knows. Yeah. And, of course, many clients in their marketing departments have rules about what they can or cannot accept. And many of them say, we can't even be part of this. Mm. You know, we can't tell you what to do with so it. So that's not value for them. No, it's, 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 it's the reverse. It worries them that these mm. things go on. Yeah. And I think, you know, that well, we should yeah, be rid uh, of it. How many times does a uh, network value in their... Uh, into hospitality their package. Yeah, yeah, hospitality package for the Olympics, for instance. Yeah. yeah. Every time someone gets the Olympics deal, there's a huge hospitality huge. package built into it. But that's, um, that's another thing that I think is changing is the relationship between advertiser agency and media owner. And I, I've seen a change with the rise of Facebook and Google. 
because in both cases, like there's always been relationships, you know, seven and, and nine have taken, you know, use sports mm. events to mm. invite clients along to hospitality. But what I'm seeing with the Facebooks and the Googles of the world is that they're using data and customer in or user insights as a way of almost leaping over the media agencies and building these relationships. I have a number of marketers that say that they value the relationship with those media owners for those insights. And I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, because I think we always forget the role the media owners have in the whole media um, ecosystem. Oh, look, the media owners, when they've got, uh, you know, a sizable proportion of their sales going to one advertiser, they have a relationship. Yeah. It, it's, it, it might not have been the case, you know, you, you know, in your days when you first came into the industry, advertisers used to rail most advertisers against the television networks because they said, you know, we never meet them, we never see them. Um, it's not the case today. No. You know, you know there's very senior people in base inside every network and basically they're, they're key account people and it is their job to have a relationship and to be as transparent as they can with the advertiser and to look for adding value and, and maybe opening up margins by doing something extra for them. And we've all seen every network's got a couple of value-added companies now that do things, they do advertorials or yeah. they do, you know, whatever. This has always been currency. I mean, you know, some media companies like Murdoch Magazines, um, they used research, mm. consumer insights. They were, you know, you'd have yeah. every couple of months they'd do some groundbreaking study that explained to the advertiser in that category what the consumer was thinking and the way to tap into that. So, you know, people have always used good data um, and research to, to, to show clients, to explain to clients, to get clients a better return on investment or show them the way they can. Mm. I think that's quite valuable. Where, um, I guess, some of these new media owners, perhaps smartly, have, have cut completely across uh, the media industry media agency industries, there's no commission. Mm. And for any small client, it's all self-serve. We have to deal with this every day of our life. We're self-serve everywhere. Mm. Trouble is, like Monday and Tuesday this week, a couple of those places, I won't mention them, their self-serve did not work. Oh, no. We couldn't get a campaign up. Uh, um, technology's brilliant till it doesn't work. Yeah, till it doesn't work. <laughs> and, you know, in all these modern new organisations, two yeah. of which you've mentioned, if you don't have the direct line of the person, there is no way oh. of getting through. So interesting. You go to their website, there's just nothing on there's there. There's nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, one of the things, because uh, we're, we're, it's been a great conversation, but we're running out of time. If, if you could give marketers, advertisers, three things that they should be looking at, and they're probably the same three things it's always been, but it's always worthwhile restating the, sort of in some ways the bleeding obvious, but what are the three things, if they're responsible or committed to a media investment, what should they be doing? Well, the very first thing is they should be asking, what are we trying to do and how are we trying to do it? Yep. The very what's first strategy? thing. Yeah, what's our strategy and how do we think we will execute that strategy mm. and why? Yeah. You know, the most powerful word I think I've practically learnt in life is why. Mm. If you keep asking why, even against the best salesperson, eventually you'll get the answer. 
Yeah. Because eventually they'll get so frustrated that they'll boil over. Five wise. And then you'll get the answer. Yeah. It may be with a lot of invective, but you'll get the answer. So, so that's the very first thing that they should ask. Then they should ask, what sort of relationship do I want to have with... Am I going to have a media agency and what kind of relationship am I going to have, or, or creative agency? Mm. And what kind of relationship am I going to have with the media? Do I want a relationship with the media or do I want to subcontract that? Yeah. And it, it's best to be clear about that because it empowers your media agency if you say, look, I, I don't want to have a relationship. By the by, a good media agency should always sell the, tell the client to have a relationship mm -hmm. with key media. Not Maybe not all of them, no. but with key, whatever those keys are. So that when extra opportunities come up, when favours can be granted, they're in the frame. Yep. And if you're faceless and nameless, you'll never be in the frame. You'll never get it, yeah. And, and the last thing, and all of this really is going to the same thing we started with, is value. How am I going to define value? Mm. What, what's the KPI here? Yeah. How am I, you know, we learned through doing a lot of direct marketing and from very wise souls, don't do it if you can't measure it. Mm. Don't do it if you can't measure it accurately. Don't do it if you can't measure it accurately and are not going to do anything about the measurement. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you, you know, because yeah. and it, it, it can apply to fast-moving consumer goods. It can apply to all kinds of things. When we were in fast food at one point, and uh, we were in a lot of fast food at one point, and they are some of the canniest people, um, mm. you know, they're still around some they understand value. Mm. Intrinsically, they understand value because they're in high turnover, quick transaction mm. business. Media business isn't that different from that. It's different. Yeah. But, but it's the, the principles the are same. somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah. And so they've got a, a cannier appreciation of these three things that we've just spoken about. And they can tell you exactly what they're looking for on mm. nearly every occasion and how they're going to do it. Because that's what they start with. Mm. How are we going to increase our sales or how are we going to hold our sales in winter? Or, you know, we've, we've got this, um, you know, uh, promotional deal that's going on, you know, like Marvel Comments with the News Limited Papers or something or other. What are we looking for here? But, you know, so often clients are shy about saying what are we ultimately trying to achieve, you know. You say, well, are you looking for a sales increase? Mm. You know, what what's the quantum of the sales increase? Show us where we've been. You know, a lot of clients are shy about showing the intimacy of their sales data. Yes. You know, the best clients give it to you, mm. and they say, "Look, here's when we did a price promotion. See, and that, that's what happened at Coles, and that's what happened at Woolworths, and that's what happened at Aldi, and that's what happened." You know. The, so you can get under the skin yeah, and start so, really so, knowing the so, hot button. So and so we want. To do this here when we're not on special, we want to actually get a return at full price, and then we're going to do something over here where we are on promotion but not on full promotion. Yeah. And you, you know, you, you're brought into their confidence, you understand the dynamics at play in, in their business and in their category, and you can actually start to, to give some grey matter, mm. not just be a transactional person. And, exactly. And those three things off the top of my head that I answered you are the, the ones that get you out of you out purely of transactions into adding value for the client. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's Einstein's quote that uh, genius is taking complexity and making it simple. I think uh, today too many people are focusing on taking the simple and making it incredibly complex. Yeah. So I'm glad that we could have a conversation that uh, perhaps uh, has helped people get back to uh, finding simple solutions to their complex media problems. Let's hope it stimulates. Thanks, Thanks. Darren. My pleasure. And thank you, Steve. Thank you.